Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and I am joined by... Post-vacation sleepy time, Beth. Sam, once again. And Caleb. The Skyler Sisters. Oh my god. So what chapters are we talking about today, Justin? Oh god, wait, what? (laughs) What? It's created a radio jingle. A totally royalty-free radio jingle that is based on nothing at all. Original content. (laughs) Trademark. I'm definitely not going to have to get worried about DMCA notices. It's three seconds. We're going to be fine. I I am well aware of the provisions of fair use, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Um, Apparently, we're starting part four today which puts us in the final third of the book and there's there's a lot that's happened and oh boy is there a lot that's still to happen in the next couple of sections so i am really looking forward to this how are we feeling about the beginning of part four it's good pretty good um i mean it's not going well for the characters but the book is good still (laughs) yeah yeah it could be going better but you know we'll see how how things roll out yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot of things that are kind of perched on the edge here. In terms of typical heist movie plot structure, where it's the eleventh hour setback and the plan must then change, this is a hell of a setback. Yeah, it's not great. Not great. It is not great. We will see how our characters are going to uh, recover from said setback uh, as we start our chapters. But first of all, Sam, we have something to do. We sure do. Um, And before I get into it, a bit of business. Caleb, you ever seen the movie Incident at Owl Creek Bridge? I have not, although I believe that's based on a short story that I have read. Yes, so for for those unaware, Incident at Owl Creek Bridge, it's set, I believe, in the Civil War. Um, A man is being hung, uh, but just as he hits the bottom, the rope snaps and he escapes to his family and, and lives a free life. But oh wait, no, never mind. So, how does this relate to you, Caleb? Well, uh, turns out your smoker, uh, as he was turning around, and as quickly uh, as possible, so quickly what that he didn't realize what retcon happened. Retcon bullshit. It's retcon bullshit, but oh my god, <laughs> the coin shot. The coin shot of the crew shot coin, and you died. Because you turned your back. Never turn your back on a job, Caleb. All right, anyway. now that we've retroactively how, killed Caleb again. How much did Beth pay you for that? <laughs> oh, I just realized I had to I had to fix it. Uh uh, you know, universal nullifier style or or whatever the fantastic four thing is. So there you go. Yeah, and on a completely unrelated note, Sam, when we're done recording, send me your Venmo so I can uh, <laughs> uh just know know it. Just know it. All right. Uh, so we've done, uh, I believe, all the beginning eight except for Iron or Steel. So, Beth. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether to introduce the scenario or just start with the medals. So, uh, let me introduce it first. This will this will be a shift. Okay. All right. So you're a misting, and you're fighting a soldier on the street during a house war. They're all set during house wars. It's great. Uh, soldiers wearing metal bracers, a metal chest plate, and wielding a metal sword. Obviously hasn't really planned for fighting mistings. Uh, and you only have one of these, so you got to pick one. And you have no coins on your person, so the stage is set. So, 
Iron or steel? Okay, I feel like in the past I've expressed that if I were a misting, I would want to be a steel misting. So I came into this thinking I would do iron for the variety of it, but in this particular scenario, I don't think I want to pull the sword closer to me. So I will flip-flop right back and I will burn steel. Okay. Alright, so... I don't know if I would have done that. You versus okay. the soldier, fighting. Here it comes. Soldier swings his sword at you. What do you do? I push it away from me. That's great. So you push the sword, and it circles around and slices upward because you pushed it in a circle. And you're dead. Wait, hang on. <laughs> no, that's how it works. That's not how late. physics no, works. No, it's too late. It's that's not like his arm is is a perfect, like, No, it's been determined already. Sprocket, and it just that's spins around sprocket. 360 that's degrees. That's not how arms work. Degrees. It was a special no. arm. That's one each for each of you, right? Of just super arbitrary first move death? No! First no, move that's oh, both for me! Okay, it's both oh, of us. Caleb got to live a long, happy life for a few weeks. No, he didn't. It's all been very fair. He got coin shot it. I don't know what's what this the problem is. This is bullshit. All right, here's here. I know so the point is I, the point is that it's bullshit, and every time I get mad about it. <laughs> so cancel the Venmo, and we'll call it even. <laughs> there we go. That's a good deal. I'll take it. I'll the, take the it. The audacity to have purportedly accepted a bribe and then just immediately go back and be like, oh, then just don't pay me. It's like... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> bribe, bribe is fulfilled. I accept But what this. I'm saying is you got to have both because having one is dumb. So screw you, coin shots. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Beth, yeah, Beth you should have chosen both, obviously. I'm surprised you didn't. Iron and That's steel. That is bisexuality, but... <laughs> oh, Justin, what are we reading? Well, actually, no, I'm taking us into the book because the first epigraph, quote, I am growing so very tired, yes. end quote, is how I feel. It is the most relatable epigraph in the entire story. It is followed by Vin waking up with an awful headache. So All it's appropriate. Really, yeah, it's it's just the complete package here. It's all perfect. <laughs> because as we left off at the end of part three, uh, Vin had just sprinted for 16 hours straight, fueled by nothing but pewter. And it's been two weeks and it still sucks. So there's a reason why pewter dragging is not a commonly used technique. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of energy to use. Being hungover for two straight weeks would suck. Yeah. I also got to say with this epigraph, like, yeah, we joke about how it's it's so relatable, but yeah, I'm honestly starting to kind of feel bad for this proto Lord Ruler we have in the in the epigraphs. It seems like he really just has gone through a lot. Yeah, um, no, that's fair. Yeah, we get we get traces of you know he's still arrogant. I'm the one with all the armies. Like, there's still traces of him not being this perfect hero. But it seems like part of him really is trying to do the right thing, and he just. It's not really feeling it. Um, and it's also, we can get into it a little bit later, but it's also very ironic to hear him in this chapter talking about being so tired, given what we see the Lord Ruler do to how other people are feeling uh, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And um, yeah, I'll save the rest of that for theory section. Caleb turns six words into five paragraphs. Sure do. <laughs> That's my job here on, on There's Always Another Podcast. Just 
overanalyze everything to the point where nothing matters because I've just thrown out a hundred different guesses about a hundred different things. <laughs> there is there is one particular epigraph, uh, Beth. This is of course the the first chapter of Hero of Ages, uh, that yes. in hindsight has an awful lot in it, and it's what seven words? Yeah, it's pretty yep, great. Just counted seven. So get excited. <laughs> yeah, there are things hiding in uh, in some unexpected places. My close reading skills are coming in handy. Uh, but Vin is attempting to kind of resume normal function now. She goes about starting her day uh, and back at the uh, at Clubs' shop, we have Clubs, Docs, Ham, and Breeze who are also trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, but first, Vin needs ale. It's like 11 <laughs> in the morning. She's just gotten out of bed and she needs a drink. Hair of the dog. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, and Ham has some sympathy here. He's like, yeah, it really sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess he'd know. <laughs> yeah. The process, they mentioned a few times that Vin needs to practice pewter dragging. That process must suck. Yeah. I mean, it's presumably just do it and get used to feeling miserable. Yeah. I imagine the training is not 14 hours your first time, but yeah, it's still not great. <laughs> But the point of discussion at hand, uh, Ham has a, a brief note on how uh, he just got back. The the garrison has been out hunting the remains of the rebel army, but they've uh, they've kind of started to trail off now. And so some of the part-timers have, have been sent home. Ham just got back. And the, the gang here is trying to figure out what happens now because the army's gone. Uh, Yeden is dead, and uh, as as Vin puts it, all that's really left is Marsh infiltrating the Ministry and Kelsier riling up the nobility. So it's it's not a great place where they stand, uh, which is when Kelsier arrives, and he is right down to business. To let's let's keep on with our with our plan. I do love that the crew is really trying to like gauge how Vin is feeling and wants to have her input on everything. Um, and Vin even has like a thought of like, why do they care so much? Um, and I think the unwritten reason is that the rest of them are pretty sure Vin is the only person Kelsier will actually listen to. Um, <laughs> and with that, she actually has a lot of power on the crew that she doesn't really realize. I think maybe also saves it. That's true, but says that I feel like gives scoldings afterwards and is not always the um, one to actually stop Kelsier from doing something wild. I don't know if Finn has ever stopped him from doing anything wild. If anything, she gets him to change his mind to take her with him to do the wild thing, which might be worse. He did. She did stop him from dying with the rest of the army. That's That's very true. You got me there. Uh, so as Kel is trying to kind of get things moving again, uh, there's a bit of a, a bit of a confrontation, I guess, where Breeze and and Docs and Ham are trying to say, you know, what are we doing now? The army's gone. Why are you even even still pushing this? Uh, and Kelsier is is insistent that this is this is a setback, but the mission is still important and the job is going to continue. At some point during this exchange, uh, Breeze 
does his usual thing of just soothing everyone all the time. Uh, and Kelsier is not pleased about that. And then they kind of get it all out in the open. Uh, Breeze says that uh, he thinks that Kelsier has been uh, has been using them. And it's really all about Kel's ego uh, of becoming, you know, the most famous, the most influential crew leader in history. And now where do they stand? And right before we get an answer to that question, uh, Spook arrives with some important news. There is a gathering in town. Kelsier needs something to happen that puts him back on the front foot. And uh, this is kind of that. But at the same time, it's also very important that they attend it because there's a certain lesson to be learned here. Mm -hmm. A very, a very, very much won't happen, would, but would be interesting if would be like Kelsier knowing the executions are about to happen and being like, ah, but they're probably going to challenge my authority. I'm going to time it just right <laughs> so that I can teach him a lesson. He would. He would. I just don't think he would be able to time it well enough. The amount of tension in the build-up to this scene, like we've seen small moments of the other crew members questioning him and got the quick mention a few chapters ago that they're basically planning an intervention to have yeah. it boil over and then be immediately interrupted. It's so delicious and so frustrating and it's about to get even more so. Um, or, yeah, delicious and frustrating feel like weird words for the next scene, but... Just the amount of dramatic tension present. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm eating it up. Yeah. I also love that the intervention was supposed to be Doxin and Ham. And of course, Breeze is the one who actually just starts <laughs> up the shit. Um, of course. Very, very in character. But then we have to go see what it is that uh, that Spook had pointed out. That there is a gathering building. Uh, and we find out pretty quickly this is, uh, this is a public display of executions which is uh, a thing that that vin says that has happened with at least some regularity since she's lived in luthadel uh, and it is mandatory for everyone uh scott and nobility uh, to to go attend them though she would usually end up ducking off somewhere as the the thieving crews would kind of scatter and hide I think it does specify it's all the men specifically. So Vin probably wouldn't have been forced to come in the first place. This is true, yes. This is a significant uh, percentage of the entire population of Luthadel who has has come to this large square or crammed around it or whatnot. Uh, the crew ends up on a uh, a rooftop with just a... Docs just bribes some guy and they are up on the roof watching. And this is this is going to be a bad time. Yeah. And on the way over to the roof, people are, are getting out of their way, and some of them are doing so reluctantly, and others recognize Kelsier without even seeing the scars. Yeah, which, you know, right off the bat of of Breeze saying, you're in this for the fame. Here's Kelsier just walking through the street, and, and people are are recognizing him and, and deferring to him. Um, it's also, I mean, surely it's a, a bad thing. That, that people can now easily recognize Kelsier and, yeah, and confirm that probably. he's there. Yeah. Uh, one real quick note uh, before the actual uh, day's activities begin. Because everyone is gathered here, Vin finally gets to point out her father to somebody who actually knows more about the ministry. 
and the Obligators. Uh, and we learn, and th- there's a bit of, of shock between Kel and, and Docs and the others. Uh, Vin's father, Tavidian, uh, is the Lord Prelin, uh, which is basically the Pope. <laughs> so, <Oops>. whoops. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like Docs. This just keeps getting better. Yeah, all of the scenes involving Vin's dad have this sort of, oh, huh quality to them Mm -hmm. they're just very strange short funny interjections Uh, and then given the current goings on we're just going to completely table that point and maybe we'll get back to it later because uh yeah so immediately after they have that realization vind feels something uh and it is what she felt when they were uh invading kritik shaw uh, as the, this black carriage arrives, uh, it's the Lord Ruler, and everyone around him is just kind of being like squashed by the immense soothing that he is putting out as he as he arrives. Yeah, the metaphor for uh, the public school system is really interesting here, and in that the closer you get to it, the more anxious and depressing you become. Um, <laughs> It's a uh, it's a pretty unnerving ability to just have turned on at pretty much all points. So is this soothing or is this something else? They call it soothing, but I don't know if that's really what's what exactly what's happening here. It's they, interesting. They describe it very differently from soothing, yeah. But they do, but they still use the word soothing. It's just it seems to be operating in a much different way, which is really interesting. Right. Yeah. It seems that what what is happening if it is soothing, is that the Lord Ruler is, I guess, soothing, like, every positive emotion possible over tens of thousands of people. And Breeze, who we've seen, is is very, very good at what he does, has no idea how that's even possible. He says he can maybe manage a few hundred at his best. And it's cutting through the copper as well, which is yes. uh, concerning. Um, but it can be countered with someone else rioting, which is also interesting. So it seems like it might be still linked to Allomancy in some way, even though it's clearly operating on a different level. Yeah, we see that Kelsier is uh, in many ways refusing to give up uh, as he is trying to to riot back some of the, the, the positive emotions of the crew around, around him. Uh, and when Vin realizes this, she starts to help out, which is uh, a nice moment there. Shortly after the arrival of the Lord Ruler, we have the arrival of the prisoners to be executed. There are ten large carts of of people who are being brought in. Uh, and as the, the Tin Eyes in the group, uh, Spook and then the, the Mistborn, are trying to, to look on, they're trying to figure out who this is. Are these family members of some of the uh, some of the army uh, are these people who were uh, who were related or or even soldiers from the army uh, and what they realize is that these are just random people who have just been rounded up today probably to be put to death so this is this is just like this is a really awful scene yeah it's not great um I was very worried that it was going to be Ham's family. Um, and technically, it still could be because the Tin Eyes wouldn't know what his family looks like because he doesn't tell anybody any details about his family. 
Um, I feel like it would have come up by now, like two chapters later, it probably would have been, they probably would have found out about that. So I feel like that's not the case. Um, but yeah, I did have an unsettling feeling of like the Tin Eyes wouldn't know if it's Ham's family or not. So like they could be in there, um, which is just not a fun thought, but I did have it. They don't live in Luthadel though, do they? They don't, but that's never stopped the Final Empire from hunting people down, I would assume. Yeah, especially if one of the one of the thoughts that the crew had was, are these captive soldiers from the, the army? So right. these people could have come from all over. Caleb is so certain of his ham is going to die theory that it now has collateral damage. <laughs> Look, either ham dies or the family does, and I don't know which one I want more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want either of them. I don't know which one I prefer. Probably should have been how I phrased that. Yeah, you, you need to you need to take that one again. <laughs> no, that's what we're going with. I should actually say, no, I do want Ham to die more because that means I will be right. And even though he is my favorite character, <laughs> I at least get the smugness of having one of my guesses be right. You get more podcast points. <laughs> this reminded me of the, the epigraph from chapter 24. Okay. Uh, in which... Uh, he says, in the end, I must trust in myself. I've seen men who have beaten from themselves the ability to recognize truth and goodness, and I do not think I am one of them if I can still see the tears in a young child's eyes and feel pain at his suffering. If I ever lose this, then I will know that I've passed beyond hope of redemption. So, hmm. uh, This is pretty pre- fucking far past that. Pretty clearly. <laughs> a pointless cruelty seems to be beyond the point of redemption, by his yeah. own definition. I wonder if he realizes that or if he's too far gone to even like recall feeling that way. Right. What is the actual mental state of, and we still don't even know, this carriage shows up. We still haven't even seen him. (laughs) Yeah. Just a shadow. He could be a skeleton. So as, uh, as the process begins, this is a, this is a particularly gruesome bit of engineering here, I guess, where they the fountain in this the city square uh they put four people uh set up on it uh and the inquisitors just behead them and then the blood runs right into the fountain uh, for everyone to see so if this wasn't designed that way then somebody went over here and thought that this was a thing that they could do and if it was designed that way that that's even worse yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's certainly striking enough and you know maybe the people further back in the crowd who can't see the actual beheadings well you see red blood water spraying into the air mm-hmm. that's probably just as effective to be clear is this the fountain square of uh that depicts the lord ruler fighting the deepness or is this like a different fountain square or do we know I- I think that was just a random statue when he was when he was going to meet uh, when Kelsoyer was going to go meet um, was I was going to go meet Straff or when he was finding it was Cayman when he body. was finding Cayman. Yeah, I don't think that was the Fountain Square. I think that was just a square that had a statue in it, but I don't know for sure. The one that they are at now is on the map is labeled Fountain Square. Uh, I don't know about the other one though. Mm. And it is, with another bit of correct map making, it is quite close to Clubs' shop. Yep. So as this scene begins, this is when Kelsier gets to to impress upon the crew. This is what he probably wanted to say, 
10 minutes ago or so back in the shop. Uh, but and but now he has a sick backdrop for it. He does have a pretty vivid backdrop. Uh, and he lays some things out for them, which is that you know, people talked about, you know, Breeze said, the ATM is just an excuse. This is about your fame. Uh, and Kelsier says, well, the ATM was an excuse. You know, hiring Yeadon or having Yeadon hire them was an excuse, but it was an excuse for overthrowing the Empire. That is what, in Kelsier's mind, it has always been about. And what they see today is exactly why it needs to happen. Uh, he says that the the people that he chose, uh, the, the crew that's gathered here, he chose specifically because he thought that their moral sense and and what they would fight for would be the best for this job, for overthrowing this tyrannical leader. Uh, and he is not intending to back down, even in spite of what just happened. And uh, he also says that it's time to... The questioning has to end. Is he's going to drive this to the end, and they are going to listen to what he says? And all throughout this passage, it just keeps on interrupting with the phrase four more deaths," as these carts and carts of people are just being killed. This is an incredibly vivid scene here. Yeah, yeah. We've discussed before that Brandon's prose isn't too flowery or poetic or beautiful, I guess, but there are times here and times in later books where he kind of messes with like paragraph structure i guess mm -hmm. and just how how everything is flowing together and just these single paragraph single line interjections of four more deaths really really drive all of this home yeah and i will say he he excels at dialogue like this is some solid yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i was gonna say it's it does appear based on this speech that Kelsier's motivations are are good and he is really trying to change the system so that the ska can live you know happy good lives but there are elements of the rhetoric not of the content but of the rhetoric that still really sound like kind of the speech the villain would give to the henchman because it's not like encouraging oh we've got this we we have to we have to hold out hope so we can save all those people it is like Get in line. You can't question me anymore. Right. This is how it's going to be. Um, which is, you know, it's it's it really is another good example of Kelsier kind of walking that line of hero or villain of a different story. Um, mm -hmm. And the audacity of saying that we need to be honest and stop lying to each other when we know there's some hidden secret plan he's still not telling anyone else um, is frustrating in such a delicious way to to borrow uh beth's uh adjectives from before yeah this is there's a lot in this speech and it doesn't really tip things one way or the other in the the ongoing analysis we've had of kelsier's morality because like you said he he has laid out his motivation and as clearly as at least if we can believe what he's saying here right now this is this is what we'd call a good thing. This is Kelsier is in this to to do good in the world, uh, but also he is like you said he is taking single handed charge of this entire operation. He's not allowing any dissent, and he definitely is still lying about some things. 
Yeah. And as the the crew has to kind of come to terms with with what Kelsier has has put out here, uh, we have the first bit of how the plan is going to proceed when Kelsier points out something that uh, none of the rest of the crew had really kind of caught on to yet, uh, which is that the garrison is gone. It's not how they meant to do it. So, I mean, it's certainly they they never, at least we assume, I, I'm, I'm being a little charitable, that we, we assume <laughs> that Kelsier didn't mean to throw away the entire army in a, it you know completely futile attack that's going to get every single one of them killed. Oh, I'll but, show you a victory menace. <laughs> but the garrison is out of the city, and uh, Ham agrees that they're going to be out there for quite some time. So that's step one of the plan done, and and it's it, it does leave them with a path forward. There's also a tiny little detail in here that I just now noticed when Kel is outlining. It cost us more than we expected, far more than it should have. I wish to the forgotten gods that those boys hadn't died. He does not swear by the Lord Ruler's name, which is something he has, he's chastised others about and, and pondered mm-hmm. in the past. He kind of picked that up from Sazed. That's just a little detail that I like. Yeah, there's the moment of like, how does he know about the forgotten... Oh, because Sazed never shuts up about that. Um, yeah, we also get one other detail about the plan, which is, hey, if the plan goes well, we're going to have all the money and a bunch of those soldiers out there are mercenaries who are in it for the money, which leads to one of my favorite things in the world. It seems like they're going to be pulling a Taskmaster Gambit. If I may go on a brief (laughs) tangent. Go for it. Um, Taskmaster is my favorite Marvel character of all time. And the moment that cemented that for me, I tragically can't remember what issue or series it's from, but I vividly remember it. Um, It's, you know, there's a group of Avengers and they're the only ones available at the time. And AIM, the secret science evil organization, has planted five bombs around the world and each of them is guarded by a C-tier supervillain. But we only have four Avengers available that can get there fast enough. Um, Okay, so what do we do about the fifth one? Well, let's send Mariah Hill over there because we know Taskmaster is defending that bomb. And how does Mariah Hill defeat Taskmaster once and for all? By offering him double what AIM is currently paying him to guard the bomb. And then he accepts the offer, steps aside, and Maria Hill disables the bomb. There you go. Simple <laughs> as that. Taskmaster's two rules in life are to A, not die, and B, get money. And I love that so much. So the idea that the crew is now depending upon that for all the mercenaries is wonderful for me. I love that. It also reminds me of a, a single panel that I've seen uh, from a comic of uh, various uh, heroes being recruited into the Avengers. Uh, and when when they go to recruit uh, Peter Parker, uh, their their pitch is, we have money, to which he responds, <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> so as we wrap up uh, our first chapter here, uh, the realization that, that Vin has uh, is... One, that it actually could still work. There is still a plan on. Uh, and then she also has kind of a, a personal focus now on the most important piece of this whole this whole event at this point is the Lord Ruler. And they need to figure out, can they even defeat him? And, and what does that look like? Yeah, without... You know, Kelsier's speech was not focused on it. But yeah, it seems like he has managed to 
basically sway Vin over in terms of getting rid of the Lord Ruler is actually the most important thing, even though it's not what we keep saying we're planning on doing for this heist. Um, that end goal is is vital to going forward. Starting with our chapter 27 epigraph then, uh, we're back to a brief note about uh, Rashak and our diary writer, our, our proto-Lord Ruler, uh, has thinks he has this cracked, uh, which is that the the prophecies that have been leading to this whole hero of ages, uh, Rashik seems convinced that uh, a terraceman who is where the prophecies are from is the only one who deserves to be the hero, and so this this writer must be an imposter of some sort, and that's one of the reasons that he is so angry. Also, it's not the main focus, but we uh, discover that the hero uh, has specific piercings. And we don't know a lot of people who have piercings, but we do know Vin has one, which is interesting. Interesting. Uh, Vin does have the one earring, yes. So uh, chapter 27 picks up hours later as uh, the, the executions have finally ended. Uh, and it says there were no, there was no speech by the ministry or the Lord Ruler or anything. It was just uh, a whole swath of killing and then done. And now we get uh, we get another just uh, a planning session with uh, perhaps slightly higher stakes now uh, as they they take stock. Uh, Doxon has his notes, which is good to see. There's one constant in the Cosmere. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, two, uh, Kelsier being late is the other one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I also have my notes, which I'm just now... I'll read you the stats of where I'm at so far, two-thirds of the way into the book. I have 70... 70- Word document pages of notes, totaling 13,673 words so far. 70 pages? I really want to see these notes after we're done. I would be fascinated by this. Yeah. Um, where did I write it? Uh, <laughs> so let me see. Uh, and they include such details as Spook Burns Tin to see if he recognizes any of the ex- executees and then doesn't under that. Just the word doesn't. <laughs> So there's some short stuff here, but there's a lot of writing. I'll share it after, at the end when there's 157 pages. I yeah. just, give me one second to pull up some stats here. I'm going to look up. This encompasses the first 26 sessions of my D&D campaign that I DM, and we're going to see how long my notes are. Um, it appears to be about 30,000 words. Um, wow. And... It's loading the page count. Okay, I do have 160 pages. So, still, word count is is similar um, for uh, between those two, which is you know that's a lot of note taken, which is you know very very good attention to detail. It's better better than me. I have this one note on the note app that doesn't tell me how many pages it would be, but it's probably a lot less than that. Very cool. I am a big fan. Uh, so the notes that this crew has, uh, they. They had the conclusion earlier about the the army and the garrison. Uh, The focus now, uh, as Breeze puts it, is the house war. uh, Because they they still have a very small force. The uh, people who who didn't leave the caves with Eden and his army. Or people who were still in the city. And if they want that very small force to actually hold the city, they do need uh, the house war to boil over and, and things to 
to get out of control in the city. And Kelsier says that uh, he intends for the house war to drag on for some time uh, to just kind of keep keep the tension up, keep the the violence up. And given that the the houses, the great houses are the ones who actually keep people working and keep the ska in, in, in their jobs and whatnot, uh, that that may be enough to provoke a kind of whole scale collapse of uh, of this society that the Lord Ruler has built. It reminded me of the uh, the Civ Four Endgame strategy, which is if you've got two people who are at war, uh, you give money to the weaker person until they're even, and then you just repeat that until they're both dead. I like it. You just you 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 just keep fighting proxy wars on both sides yep <laughs> donate to caesar and then donate to mansa musa and then just repeat that over and over until they're both dead i'm pretty sure that's essentially palpatine's plan in the clone wars <laughs> why does mansa musa need money he's the <laughs> richest guy ever he did he did once give away so much gold on a trip across africa that he cratered the price of gold and ruined entire economies the entire way. Just single-handedly trouncing across the continent, wrecking shop because he was so rich. How dare Siv not be 100% historically accurate? I think you may be playing the wrong game if that's your your goal. Hey, my AP history professor told me Civ Four was like the most realistic depiction of how civilizations interact and that a bunch of research was done into it. So if Mr. Prophet lied to me, then we, we're going to have words. Mr. Prophet. Mr. Prophet. That's a hell of a name. <laughs> sure is. Do you think that's what they called the Lord Ruler back when he was Epigraph Man? <laughs> Mr. Prophet. I assumed it was spelled with an F and, and this guy's just making cash. Could be... It is spelled with an F, but it's also spelled with two T's. I should probably not be doxing my AP history professor from high school, but hey. <laughs> if you're listening. I bet there's like 15 Mr. Prophets who teach somewhere. If you're listening, Mr. Prophet, I haven't forgotten how much you love Civ 4 and how much you hate Civ 5 because they got rid of a bunch of the different um, like uh, historical details. Um, he, he really he hated Civ 5 for the passion. I remember that distinctly. But hexagons are the bestagons. I don't think the hexagons were his problem with the historical accuracy of the Civilization games. But I could be wrong. He did not go into too much detail about it. All right, I'm going to just wrench us back onto track here. <laughs> so the the plan here is that uh, way back in the original planning session, uh, both Doxon and Breeze were candidates for infiltrating the nobility and and spreading chaos and they were rejected for one reason or another uh because of risk uh but the the risk tolerance has gone up here and they're both going to get into the business uh breeze points out that if he goes to you know one-on-one -on -one or small group visits then he can probably get away with uh nobody recognizing him as two different people uh and uh vin is also going to continue her her role uh, and they're going to have to focus at the, the top, the most powerful houses. Uh, there's an uncomfortable silence as people realize that that means that uh, House Venture is going to have to go down. Uh, and that includes uh, Ellen Venture. I love that little moment of the room fell quiet for a second, then several heads turned toward Vin. Because 
beforehand i thought it was just a her and (laughs) i thought it was just a her and kelsier secret uh like we haven't seen her chatting about ellen with anyone else but now it's clear that freaking everyone knows (laughs) that uh vin has a bad crush clearly breeze found out on his own and then told that to everyone else that's exactly what happened (laughs) i mean i believe that yeah so they they don't really resolve much there there's kind of an awkward ending to that note uh but something is going to happen with house venture and vin is is hopeful that it will not fall on ellen uh it arrives uh he is in fact early uh and and he has a a quick jab at at cal he says i try to make it a habit And the rebel soldiers are going to continue to be trained. Uh, They're going to be hidden in small squads throughout the city. Uh, They're going to be doing uh, a little bit of of recruitment. Uh, And there's a a big sidestep around the truth here, uh, where Kelsier says that we can tell them that our army successfully neutralized the garrison, which is a true statement. That part's technically true, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) success. And uh, what Sazed was delivering was a note from Marsh. Uh, so they are going to meet. Uh, it's going to be Kelsier and Vin going to meet Marsh and see how he has been doing uh, with the whole ministry point. Which means that those two have a chance for a bit of a chat before Marsh actually arrives. And they can, they can have some important discussions here. Uh, the first of which these discussions is uh, another, uh, another point on the... Uh, the back and forth of what is the deal? What's the truth around the 11th medal? Uh, Kelsier says, I, I have a piece of it. Uh, it is, uh, there are legends around it. Um, it says Kelsier took some time to to find them. Uh, though we know from his own monologue that he's definitely been spreading those rumors since he found it. Uh, and, and with Vin's kind of typical blunt questioning, Kelsier does reveal that he doesn't know uh, how to use it, what it does. He says he's hoping the logbook will tell him about it, but why would it? <laughs> I mean, if the Lord Ruler knows about the 11th medal, it presumably means that he has a defense against it or will be prepared for it. Yeah, I'll also say I don't know what Kelsier's plan for quote-unquote figuring out how it works was I don't know how that plan was going before they found the logbook because it seems like that's pretty much his only hope right now. I don't know what kind of research he's doing <laughs> if he's the only one spreading all the rumors about it. Like, what is what is his plan to figure it out? Yeah, there's definitely something uh, a little bit strange here. Kelsier points out that he hasn't done much testing yet uh, because uh, improper alimentic metals can be very harmful and even fatal. So that's a uh, that's a pretty good detriment. Uh, but in the middle there, we also have a, another discussion that they have uh, about uh, Vin is convinced that there's something alimentic that doesn't quite add up right. Uh, in particular, uh, like we mentioned, the, the Lord Ruler's soothing seems to work in kind of a different way than... Than, than what the typical explanations are. It's it's so much more powerful. It affects people through copper. Uh, and and Kelsier isn't really convinced. He thinks that that there are explanations for this, uh, but it does seem... Vin also does think that this is strange in some way. 
If anyone listening is also a fan of the Adventure Zone podcast, there's a moment where a character drops a cool one-liner and then casts a cool spell that, like, ejects his soul out of his body so that he, he can go do some cool shit in the astral plane. But from the outside, it just looks like he says, I've got a fucking idea for you, and then just keels over onto the ground dead. <laughs> um, That's a power move. Which, yeah, which, if, if they pop the scene into my brain of Kelsier standing before the Lord Ruler, ready to use the 11th medal, <laughs> and then it just kills him on the spot. <laughs> which you know, it's Kelsier. You know that would be preceded by a cool one-liner. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's also the 11th medal that he has is like a big chunk of something that's like a foot long, right? He's got a, a pretty decent piece. I don't know if it's quite that much, but it's a it's a hunk. Four, six inches? Yeah. Yeah, it's not like... I compare a... it to a finger length. Oh, is it a finger? Okay, never mind then. I, I was picturing like this like tree branch, and I was like, how's it going <laughs> to eat that whole thing how's that gonna you can't do that that's not how it works <laughs> like a chipmunk <laughs> do chipmunks eat trees oh, sorry no, break that down <laughs> for me cheek pouches kelsier could just hit the lord ruler with hey, what it what if the 11th medal is arsenic <laughs> oh yeah so far with the exception of of atium these are all real metals so there's a whole swath of the periodic table that's available here for what the eleventh metal actually is. <laughs> it's manganese. Brandon, we have some script notes for you. <laughs> These are all great suggestions. There's, uh, there's an XKCD. Uh, I think it is in fact um, Dmitri Mendeleev, creator of the periodic table, uh, who is interacting with a character from Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, he's claiming to be a master of all 100 or so elements uh, and performs some polonium bending, giving the other person <laughs> acute radiation poisoning. So lots of options. It reminds me of the cancer ray from Harley Quinn where she shoots a guard with it before seeing what it does and then she sees the sign on it that says cancer gun and the guard's like, oh my god, you gave me cancer. I need to go spend time with my kids. And then he leaves. <laughs> Anyways... Yep. <laughs> Here we are again. The um, Lord Ruler is uh, subjugating thousands of the population. Uh, what, uh, what, what's, what's happening next? Yeah. Uh, what's happening next is more magic system talk. Uh, oh, yeah. Because uh, Vin is now trying to get some information about Farukmi out of Kelsier, um, which is a better idea. He, he is more likely to talk about things. It is a better idea. However, I love the blatant lie of Seiza didn't have much time to tell me about Farukabi. Don't you guys spend hours of the day with each other yeah. pretty much on a daily basis? And and Kelsier just goes right past this. He's like, sure, let me tell you what I know. Yeah, no, he's cool with it. He's fine. Yeah. Uh, and what Kelsier knows is that all of the, the ferrochemical powers uh, affect yourself. Uh, they're all internal in the uh, the elementic terminology. Uh, and there's some overlap in that Farukami can provide strength and and endurance and things like that. Uh, but it can also cover some things that Alamancy can't. Uh, like we've seen with, with memory, we've heard mentioned with physical speed. Uh, he also points out clarity of thought, uh, weight, and age, which are, there. there's all sorts of possibilities there interesting 
Sorry, I don't have specific thoughts, but yes, it is it is it is very cool. And I'm glad we're getting more info on Furukami. Yeah. Uh and then he points out the the limitation of Furukami, which is that uh you have to you have to personally spend the time uh to charge these these metal mines of what you're storing. Uh and if you you know if you want to be twice as fast you have to spend time being twice as slow so that uh, as opposed to alamancy where if you have metal you can just keep going uh, it's a pretty significant drawback on the other hand the the plus side is that the rate is much more variable from what we've seen of alamancy you can burn a metal or you can flare it to push harder but that's about it uh whereas kelsier says with with Furukami, it's basically a, a complete sliding scale where you could be, you know, after an hour of being slow, you could be twice as fast for an hour, or you could be four times as fast for half an hour, or, you, you know, use it all up in one tiny moment of incredible speed. So there's there's a lot of of range there. Yeah, I'm also, it's, it's interesting to, you know, right, this is coming pretty soon after the pewter drag, in which, you know, when you overuse your allomantic powers, you're weak afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um there's something very interesting about if you're a Farukamist, you have to get weak beforehand, but once it's loaded up, you're good. You can use that and presumably like you'll be fine uh, after it's done, um, which is an interesting kind of flip on things. Uh, so we wrap up this magic system discussion with Kelsier pointing out that ATM is a pretty big power differential in, in Alamancy's factor if you have a straight up fight. Uh, and then we we move on to uh the meeting site they've arrived where they need to go and uh let's see uh, hopefully it is it is just marsh uh, but kelsier is prepared in any case he has atm ready for himself and vin uh he's paranoid enough to think that maybe uh marsh has been captured and forced to write this note out of duress and they are walking into a trap so Vin is not the only one with a, a perhaps either healthy or unhealthy amount of paranoia here. This feels like a healthy amount to me. Probably. Uh, they again talk about uh, the logbook. Kelsier does say that he he hoped it would have some more secrets on the 11th medal in particular. Uh, but it also doesn't, he says it doesn't even mention Alamancy, which frustrates him. Uh, and they note that Cezid has just a little bit left to translate and hopefully they will get some answers in that last part got me curious um well just about a lot of things i guess i can talk about this at the end um let me make a note because i didn't um did people uh, like was alamance even a thing then i don't think it's clear yeah i I, yeah it, it hasn't been mentioned and both vin and kelsier have noticed the fact that it hasn't been mentioned at all uh but beyond that i don't think it is it is clear so it is nearly time for the the meeting about half an hour uh, though kelsier is self-aware enough to know that if either he or marsh are involved it's going to be late so they've got they've got some more time to to wait uh, which means we have time to ask a question that's kind of been lingering for a very long time that vin vin just kind of like i've definitely been in this position you're like wait a minute and 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 says what's the ninth medal and we learn that it's gold Simple as that. Gold! I will say, earlier this chapter, I wrote in my notes, when they were talking about the 11th medal, I wrote in my notes, 
yeah, but can we please get some info on the ninth medal? And then we got to this point, and it just and wrote in parentheses underneath that note, yay. <laughs> yeah, and and to Vin's point, you know, gold is easy enough to. It's not plentiful, but if you if you just need a little bit to do some elementic experimenting, it's not that hard to get. So she totally could have tried it earlier. Uh, and Kelsier said that it is had had said that it is uh, unimportant, and so just didn't didn't go with it. Uh, Vin also notes that the the pattern would indicate that it should be an alloy of atium, um, but Kelsier says that the the last two are kind of weird that way, in that they are two separate metals. And uh, Kelsier says it's a it's a somewhat uncomfortable experience, but this is Vin that we're talking about. So right here and right now, we're going to have to experience gold. There's another really cute Vin and Kelsier moment in here of him trying to discourage her from burning it, her silently deciding that she's going to, him looking at her and saying, you're going to try it anyway, aren't you? And hers not saying anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. These two know each other pretty well at this point. Yeah. And so we see gold. Uh, and what what gold does is it shows Vin uh, herself, but a, a different take on herself. Uh, she sees uh, a woman who was, uh, was careless and uh, is, is not as um, not as concerned about the things that Vin has been concerned about her whole life. Uh, and then there's there's another take. Uh, which is the the kind of lonely the the lonely person that she was way back in in chapter one uh, who didn't have anyone to support her and was kind of languishing on the street and this is a a deeply kind of unsettling experience for Vin and then it's gone and she has to kind of unpack what what just happened there yeah <laughs> very strange uh, I was wrong about the ninth medal which makes me a little sad because um, it does not allow you to read minds. It instead it lets you have a, a, a mirror, mirror moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a Harry Potter fucking whatever the mirror is called moment. The mirror of whatever it's called. The mirror That's, of Erised because the it's mirror of whatever it's called. backwards. <laughs> um, yeah, I know I get half points because I threw out like four different theories, but... As Kelsier does directly say, it is a form of looking into the past to an extent, and that was one of one of my predictions, sort of. So I get, I, I feel like I get like, you know, when you you know when you turn in an essay like a week late, and the professor still gives you some points for it, even though by the grading system it should technically be a zero. I feel like I get that. That is exactly what happened there. Of the between the two of you, there were like six or seven guesses for what the ninth medal does and most of those were caleb uh and and this one was the one that you had i think as a lower likelihood but you do get a non-zero amount of point one fourth podcast points i i've hired a plane flyover to celebrate the fact that i get partial podcast points What are you going to do when you get one whole point? Oh, you better hold on to your ass. <laughs> it's going to get wild. So Vin is is trying to to come to terms with what with what she just saw. It was a it was a pretty uncomfortable and unpleasant experience for her. Uh Kelsier has tries to to talk her through what just happens. Uh says that that gold shows you 
uh, a different version of of your own past. Uh, and in that way, it is kind of a, a mirror of, of ATM, showing into the past instead of into the future. Uh, and Vin is... Vin is very uncomfortable by this. She says she could she could touch the other person and that it felt like her in a way that, that ATM shadows don't. ATM shadows are just a a thing that you see and they let you fight, but this was this was a more personal experience. And kind of the resolution to this, because because Marsh shows up in, in just a little bit. So the resolution to this is just kind of yeah, gold is strange and it doesn't do a lot that we can use and it's uncomfortable and and that's it and then after this we have uh i feel like they should have last names so i can refer to them as the the something brothers but they don't only only nobility in this world seem to have last names so i cannot uh refer to them collectively but marsh is here uh he seems to be by himself uh, and he has uh, face tattoos because he is, in fact, infiltrating the ministry. So that's that's part of it. I'm not sure why it's like a massive surprise that he has the tattoos. We were directly told he was going to disguise himself as an obligator. But um, it is it is a moment of like really realizing how committed he is to this role. Mm-hmm. And it, it ties back to that thing he said before of like, look, even if this plan goes wrong and even if I die, if I find out some really cool information that I can get out to the rest of people and have that spread around... That could help us for like decades from now, which is still just an interesting way to look at this whole rebellion plan that is pretty exclusive. That viewpoint is pretty exclusive to Marsh so far, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also learn that because the the tattoos do show kind of rank and organization. Uh, so not only has has Marsh uh, dove headlong into this this infiltration uh, he's also joined the Canton of Inquisition, which is like the most serious and secretive and and significant of the portions of the the ministry. So uh, he has committed to this. It's because he's an overachieving dork, and as I'm pretty sure all of us are, we are overachieving dorks. When you overachieve, your reward is uh, harder work. <laughs> yeah, I mean that tracks. But also probably intentional. I mean, you know, how can you learn about Inquisitors if you're not part of the Canton of Inquisition? Right. Uh, and so we we get a, a pretty sizable update here from what Marsh has been up to. Uh, he he says that things are, are getting a little dicey uh, in that they are, uh, they've been questioning him and, and talking with him pretty closely. Uh, he thinks that he's put on perhaps too good of a, of a show and they really like him. Uh, and he hopes that the the false background that they have will will stand up to this. Uh, he has revealed the fact that he is a seeker, as that is kind of table stakes uh, for um, particularly, he says, the Canton of Inquisition. Uh, so that that helped him get in there. Uh, and we we do uh, Marsh has made a significant discovery here, uh, which is the existence of these soothing stations. Uh, where spread throughout the city, the ministry has stationed um, soothers and smokers uh, in pairs uh, to just kind of keep things under control, to keep the the ska from acting up too much uh, as kind of a, a much lower scale and much wider spread version of uh, what they felt from the Lord Ruler just last chapter. I wrote in my notes, so that's why. Because if I were a Scott, I would be 
I would be rioting every day. Um, but yeah, no, this is sense. <laughs> this is a a straightforward reason why, despite the immense shittiness that we've seen, uh, the Scott it's been referenced before they always seem kind of beaten down and downtrodden and and this is part of why i'm a little bit surprised that no one has like recognized like wouldn't kelsier pass by one of those stations and felt hey my emotions don't feel right right now um marcia's intel is still super important because he's gonna be able to get the specific locations but it's it, it is either a testament to how like subtle they are about it or it's a test of it to kelsey just not paying very close attention i feel like <laughs> to the fact that when he's zooming around the city not once has he has he felt the effect of any of these and been able to pick up on it um mm -hmm. but um yeah this could certainly it's kind of a it is fairly it, it, it's very convenient to find this out right after the plan has shifted to well we have to throw the entire city into chaos and like that is now the most important part of the plan at this point um, and may may require things beyond house wars to uh, accomplish. Um, we now have a basically way of making the people riot by removing the thing that is stopping them from rioting, um, which is an interesting little component to now add into the plan a little bit, which is what I'm assuming they're going to be planning on doing. They do note that all of these soothers are even better than Breeze, who they've kind of held up as the gold standard TM of soothing. That is true. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, these these last few chapters have really highlighted just how much this world sucks. Like, you get mm -hmm. a little caught up in, like, the heist plan is ticking, and Vin is at these beautiful balls, and she's trying to come to terms with these specific people, and then it kind of zooms you back out to remind you that, hey, everything everywhere sucks. <laughs> yeah, sure does. And before this meeting breaks up, we also find that um, Marsh has has made a, a little bit of progress figuring out uh, what the whole thing is with Inquisitors. Uh, definitely not answers to the point where they could you know, fight back against them in a convincing way. Uh, but Marsh knows a couple of things. Uh he confirms they do have all of the elementic powers, uh, so must have, have been Mistborn. Um, he knows that they age, uh, they do die, uh, and they get new ones, which is not even really a thing that was known before. So there's a little bit there. It, it's not a big help, but it, it is at least something. Do you think they throw retirement parties for the Inquisitors? That would retired. be a, a very strange party. <laughs> I hope they do. That's only polite. What do you What do you think the raid on Cammons Club was? That's that's just a, that's just a party for them. I mean, honestly, it might have been. Uh, the other last tidbit here is that there's uh, apparently a bit of a uh, a political uh, infight at the ministry, where uh, the the Lord Prelin, who we now know is actually Vin's father um is is the head of the of the ministry uh but the inquisitors apparently think that they should be put in charge uh and here we have kelsier give us an interesting <laughs> hey <laughs> that's our line it's only fair we'll 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 trade him for the title of our podcast 
Oh yeah, that's true. And uh, the two brothers then share a bit of a, a nice moment as as Kelsier says, takes the time to, to thank Marsh for this very dangerous task that he's doing. Uh, and Marsh says that that this isn't for Kel. He This is for the goals that they both believe in. But Marsh does at least now appreciate what Kelsier is also doing. So the two of them have, have made some progress there, which is good to see. And that is where we wrap up with uh, with the promise of another party next chapter. I do have more miscellaneous thoughts on gold um, before we wrap up the chapter. Let's hear some miscellaneous thoughts on gold, which is also my new album title. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like it would be terrifying if I were to use it. Um, I feel like it could be helpful therapy if the right person were to use it at the right time. Um, I feel like Kelsier probably hates the idea of looking back on other ways his life might have gone. I feel like that's that's not his favorite thing to do, which would fit with him saying it's an uncomfortable experience. Um, I think Hammond would love it. I feel like him Hammond getting the opportunity Aww. to look back on previous versions of himself and be like, hmm, yeah, my life could have, hmm, wow, wow, that also could have happened. And just thinking back on it. Yeah, what if I did actually just join the garrison? Yeah, um, I... But he's I, also I, blunt enough that he wouldn't be crippled by it. He'd be like, huh, exactly. interesting. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if it's been firmly established. It probably has. Are Mistborn the only people who can use the ninth and 10th medals? Or is that, can Mistings use their one medal, but then also they can boost themselves with the other two, with the two specials? Uh, we don't know at this point. Okay, fair enough. Um, I just, I just, I just want Ham to have that little fun experience before he dies tragically, which I still think is going to happen. <laughs> Um, and he can look back at a time when he, which he would have lived. Oh yeah, the, what 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 a life that would have been. Anyways, this is how it was always meant to be. <laughs> um, and then my last question is, just, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to this, but what happens when you flare gold? I, I'm very curious. Um, do just like fifty versions of you come out and you get to look at all of them at once? Um, or I'm curious if. You know, it feels so useless on the surface. I wonder if there's some, like, super hidden elements of this that would be useful if you were to flare it. And it's just Kelsier has never tried that because he hates using gold. Um, I'd be interested to see what how that works. Or is there no difference? What happens if you flare Atia? Maybe there's some further weirdness with those two metals. Have we, I could have sworn we've been told what happens when you flare Atium. Yeah, exactly. I think there's just not enough of it. I think the the rate that ATM burns, I don't think any of our characters have ed- amassed the wealth required to actually flare ATM. Oh, now I remember what I'm thinking of. One of my theories was that Lord Ruler has enough ATM that he can flare it, and that's what's giving him superpowers. That's that, right. That's what I'm thinking of. That is right. That was the thing that we had, uh, we had discussed. Okay. Uh, before we actually head into Chapter 28, I'm going to say uh, in the category of things that happen in other books but are too far off and too small to actually be spoilers. Uh, There is a character who uses gold as a kind of intense self-reflection technique. Uh, And it is commented on, like, he's a very kind of... He's a very disturbed person, I'll say. And this is, like, a thing that other people think is, is weird that he does. But it is a technique that he has of 
looking at his own life and seeing what what could have changed and what could have been using gold. So that is a thing that's out there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> it's therapy for weirdos. All right, our third and final epigraph of today's episode. Uh, the this is kind of a a pairing with Kelsier doubling down on on his motivation for the Lord Ruler needs to be destroyed. Here we have the deepness must be destroyed of whatever else happens, what, whatever kind of questioning and uh, and back and forth happens in this quest, the deepness must be defeated. So certainly parallels abound. I beat you to it this time, Caleb. <laughs> thank, thank you for taking care of that. I'm going to make a comparison that you love, Justin, though, um, because the last description of it would destroy this world not out of spite or out of animosity, but simply because that is what it does. Um, sounds a lot like you exist because we allow it and you will end because we demand it. That um, is 100% a reference <laughs> that I approve of. Very big Reaper vibes from this whole thing. Is I don't get it. Then Mass you Effect. Should play, you should play the Mass Effect trilogy. Oh, you should play Mass Effect. Justin, I, I apologize profusely, but I could not get over the gameplay from Mass Effect 1. I tried so hard. You should play the new Legendary Edition that made things slightly better. I will. I will give it another shot. I, I've I've trusted Justin's uh, uh, opinion multiple times in my life, and it's always paid dividends. So I'll give it another shot. I do appreciate though that in the the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, we're we're going further off the rails here. Uh, in <laughs> keep going. It, oh yeah, in the the re-release of Mass Effect One. Uh, they updated the controls for the Mako, the tank that you get to drive around, uh, which was infamously impossible to drive in the original release. But mm. for those of us who have spent so long driving the Mako that it actually makes sense, they gave us a toggle to put back the original awful controls. God bless. <laughs> I, I've always loved driving the Mako. I love that it's slightly great. clunky and a little wacky. I love that little guy. I do recall cackling wildly when I was driving the Mako for the first time. Yeah. Because <laughs> of how absurd moving it was. See, I was never good enough that that toggle would actually assist me, but it just contributes to the headcanon that Commander Shepard, first human specter, savior of the galaxy, is a god-awful driver. Yes. And I want to support that with as much text so quote as i can that was what i was going to say i believe there is actual text to support that yeah uh yeah no my opinion is that it is not in fact the mako having awful controls shepherd just can't drive uh and yeah. <laughs> it's in citadel which is the 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 humor dlc but they they do have other characters comment on how bad shepherd's driving is so it's canon I'm swerving us back because I'm keeping us on Mass Effect, but bringing it to the book as well. I love because it. Because I like this Reaper comparison because the logbook says, I have sensed its mind such that it is. So whatever the deepness is, there's some weird sort of sentience or awareness to it. Mm -hmm. Ah, the Reapers. There we go. I love it. I feel like the end of every episode is someone saying, ah, that Caleb theory. We have dismissed that. <laughs> yeah actually that's accurate uh so we do have a bit of a, a hard jump from the the discussion of the deepness uh into the ball at keep the call uh and so this although we do see uh shortly after keep the call has quite the gallery 
of of stained glass in particular some depictions of the deepness so it's not a complete swerve uh and in today's episode of uh at least some of these noble keeps are in fact real buildings any guesses as to this one uh this pyramidal shaped building with all sorts of glass on the outside the pyramid from the las vegas pyramid pyramid thing pyramid it is in fact the luxor casino it's the casino that was oh my god i wrote that that yep sam has provided us a picture of this is the luxor casino oh i didn't actually know what the inside of it looked like that's hilarious i stayed there it was great they have uh diagonal elevators that's terrifying. Las Vegas is a decadent city, and I kind of actually love it. Yeah. I, I will not go again, though, because it's kind of like eating a dinner consisting entirely of pixie sticks. Yeah. By the third one, you're like, God, my mouth, I can't take any more. <laughs> this was a terrible, terrible idea. It's too sweet. I will say, though, Vegas, cheaper than you'd think if you're not gambling. True. True. Oh, my God. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but here we are in Keep Lacall and not actually in the Luxor Casino. Uh, in uh, with with Vin getting a chance to look at uh, the this gallery of very finely detailed stained glass windows, which would be very cool to see on screen. Just let the the art department kind of go nuts with it. Uh, and there's an there are some more depictions of the the deepness doctrine. Uh, Vin says that as as she's read through the logbook and seen kind of the story of the Lord Ruler, she's actually now picking up what these stained glass windows are depicting. Uh, but it's still kind of frustratingly vague on what the deepness actually is. It's very kind of abstract. It mentions here the hills of emerald green, like describing it. Um, just a question. If nobles know the land was green... Why not ask why it's not still green or can't be green again? Like, why do that they just tolerate or accept the, the the objective shittiness of the world? Like, why tolerate that if if you know it was better? Yeah, maybe people think it's just kind of an artistic thing. Well, and then also you could make the argument that if they've lived their entire lives here, there's no reason they would think that the fact that the hills were green was better in any way. Like. The nobles are living life pretty well. They look at the hills and they're like, yeah, that's what hills look like. They used to look different. That doesn't necessarily mean they look better. Because Vin, Vin keeps acting like, why do, why do you care about green so much? It's not supposed to be green. It's not green. Um, <laughs> yeah, Vin does think it's weird. So I imagine the nobility have kind of the same thing of like, yeah, the world used to be a little wackier. But I, I don't know. I think there's a good argument to be made that they wouldn't really care. It's just a cool little detail about the legend. Uh, Vin soon moves on to one of her uh, targets for the evening, uh, which is the return of Lady Cliss, who Vin is absolutely sure she can spin some wild tales to and uh, sow some mayhem among the the gossip and the informants. Uh, So they have this whole kind of back and forth of uh, just going over the the goings-on of the court, uh, and Vin pretends to, to... let some information slip uh, and then uh, begrudgingly allows Cliss to kind of drag the secret out of her. Uh, and uh, there's now rumors spreading. Uh, House Hastings is perhaps preparing for a rapid withdrawal if things go south quickly. Uh, and then House Tekiel as well is now, uh, thanks to Vin, uh, rumored that 
um, that Tikil may be uh, going as well. So all sorts of, of details flying back and forth here. Tekiel definitely exploded, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Tekiel did actually die. Have you heard the rumors of all the death? Yeah. Just the behind the scenes of our Discord here. Um, I wrote, uh, as I was reading the chapter, I was like, bearing in mind I haven't finished the chapter, do we know what happened to House Tekiel? And then the next page, I was like, oh, yes, now we do. <laughs> I was worried I missed something, but nope. Nope, what happened was that... Uh... Several of them died, uh, thanks, Kelsier, uh, and they started to pull out of the city, and that was kind of a, a, a trigger point for uh, one or more of the other houses to, to jump at the chance, uh, attack the uh, the departing Tikio caravan, and just kind of wipe them out. So one down, nine to go, I guess? <laughs> Lady Cliss seems very pretty easy to manipulate when it comes to gossip but it should be worth noting Vin's getting very good at this like in the span of about two minutes she gets yeah. all the information she needs and she disperses all the information she needs to go like plant seeds that will cause chaos later on down the line um she has a talent for this it's it's very it's very cool to see this scene looking back at how uncomfortable she was at the first ball and now mm -hmm. It's not just that she's like, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and being like, oh, noble, noble life is so cool and whatnot. Um, it is, she is really fulfilling her role in the operation and, and the heist um, very effectively. Well, there's definitely a shift of attitude that's very strange to me. Um, like uh, the beginning of our reading here, chapter 26, uh, she is annoyed at the prospect that apprentices had not drawn her a bath even though they had um whereas at the very big you know way back when when she's drawn a bath and she complains about how it's like scented um it's just interesting how she's shifted to the point where like mm -hmm. she's living like a noble <laughs> i don't right. know right and expecting it she had a headache give her a break it's also good to see a concrete example of her being good at these courtly games because we don't get a bunch of scenes of her, like, gossiping and twittering and ingratiating herself to various groups, which is totally fine with me. But we hear Ellen mention a few times that, like, you're kind of too good at this. Can you cool it? Can you cool it with the political stuff? So it's good to see that in action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we. this is kind of our, at least in a long while, this is our biggest scene of the actual court politics part of it. So Vin is is doing some thinking about said politics. Uh, she is very worried about Ellen. The rest of House Venture, maybe not, but Ellen, uh, she's really hoping, is, is going to stay safe. Um, and uh, Vin has uh, Chandelarial on the back of her mind because that was something that was uh, an issue earlier, and she's hoping that that doesn't get, uh, get too messy. Uh, and now Ellen's here, and the two of them have a chance to uh, to have a, a bit of a talk. And there's quite a bit that happens here, too. Not the least of which is heavy flirting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we also have discussion of the possibility of the Lord Ruler getting married, which we're just going to leave at that, but it's funny. Oh, Vin and Ellen. Surely their love will continue forever. And nothing bad will happen to either of the two of them or their relationship. That's right. 
no, they'll they'll trust each other with their whole heart. I mean, to be fair, that part actually does happen. There is there is some trust displayed here, at least to some extent. And that trust will definitely last till the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a a moment of romantic tension, uh, and then Vin Vin tries to kind of push things away. She says that that uh, she has secrets and and can't tell them right now, and that they would be a significant problem. So the two of them are just going to have to have a walk for today, and Ellen may or may not start reading. Vin. We, we were just talking about how good she is at this, but every time Ellen comes into her field of vision, she gets so bad at pretending to be a noble. Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> just it all it... goes out the window. And he is too stupid to pick up on it. <laughs> like, if if I were being more critical of this book, I would say that it is, it is perhaps stretching belief that Ellen does not realize what happens, but... I like both of these characters, and I like their interactions, and I am willing to let this slide. I'm glad you like both characters. Um, a couple pages later, uh, it was, it's, it's you're skipping ahead a little bit, but like, yeah, in terms of Vin being bad at this, she blurts out, so you do want to overthrow the Lord Ruler. Yeah, no, that's, that's a bad a ball. one. There's people around. Also, if someone says, yeah, I'm not too happy with how the president have been running the country, I don't expect the other person to yell, oh, so you want to assassinate the president. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. So what Ellen has come to this interaction with is uh, he's trying to do a good thing in a weird way where he doesn't have any of the facts, but he's trying to do a good thing. Uh, he is trying to impress upon Valette that House Renault needs to leave, and in particular, Valette does, uh, because things are are getting so dangerous. And he's convinced that she is not perhaps aware of quite how how great the danger is, uh, and is trying to to do a good thing and keep her out of danger. And saying you being in Luthadel is is important politically but it's not a good thing right now so you should you should cut your losses and get out of the way and then after this we we find another bit of information that I don't think we knew before uh which is that the reason that house venture is on on top of the uh the power ranking uh and the the power behind their wealth is that they are the administrators of the pits of Hathsin and are responsible for mining the the empire's atium and are getting paid quite handsomely directly by the lord ruler. So that is a pretty big deal. Yeah, and Vin is giddy to tell Kelsier a secret that will almost certainly result in him killing Ellen. Yeah, I'm sure Kelsier's going to love the fact that the Ventures were in charge of Hathsin. I'm sure that will go perfectly. Yeah, there's um there's potential for problems in a couple of ways there, very personally for Kelsier, like you said, Caleb. Uh, there is the uh, amusingly ironic note of uh, Ellen saying, if you knew more about the economics of Allomancy, this would probably make more sense God, to you. God, that line, like, I, I had a visceral reaction to that line. Just the, mm, the condescension of just, like, patting her on the head and being like, oh, if you knew more about the yeah. economy, you would understand. And I personally, I think that if Ellen was actually informed of what was going on here, uh, he would think that he was being a colossal idiot here. I think he has that 
much self-awareness. Sure, sure. He should have picked up that Vin knows more than she thinks. I think he calls himself a colossal. Yeah. After that conversation, Vin is trying to impress on Ellen that uh, House Venture is is perhaps in danger, and he personally uh, from Chandelarial. Uh, and they have this kind of realization of of neither of them believe each other on the the danger involved. So that's a that's a fun little bit. Yeah, and then we get the um, the the chat about Ellen's little philosophy group, where Vin really does put her foot in her mouth again, and Ellen says, "Well, no, we're not going to overthrow him. We just." you know, want to do things a little differently. We're not going to kill the guy, geez. Ellen, is it not concerning to you that that was Vin's initial assumption? He's too in love. <sighs> oh, dear. <laughs> Just, I wrote down here, um, uh, you know, among other thoughts, uh, now is probably not the time for my, my grand idea of a revolution to take place, even if Ellen and Co. were not fuckboys. If they're installed, then the houses will look weak and they'll kind of eat each other, I think. Mm. Because, you know, they're these, like, 21-year-old kids running these giant houses. That's a sure sign of weakness. Right. The the little academic group uh, is not really... Compared to what we've seen of Straff Venture, at least, who seems to uh, rule quite strictly and harshly, uh, replacing Straff with Ellen would be just the biggest neon sign of go kill House Venture now. Yeah. <laughs> so after the two of them uh, part ways for the evening, uh, we get a check-in with Chandelarial. Uh, who's apparently just completely done with all of this and says, you know, I don't care about you, little girl. Uh, there are more important things going on. Uh, and and this actually bothers Vin, which is a, another kind of shift. She's like, you know, but I but I want to be involved here. Uh, but that is that is where we leave off with with Vin for the evening. And then we get an Ellen POV, which is our first one of the book. Uh, and this is actually. Um, I believe, I think this is in the annotations. Brandon has said uh, this is a trend that that you will notice through more Sanderson books is uh, as we get to the end of the book, uh, there are going to be uh, more frequent POV switches and they're going to be switching to characters that we haven't seen before. This is just a thing that he likes to do towards the end of a book. I checked in since the prologue. This is our first POV that is not... Uh, Vin or Kelsier. Uh And coming up in just a couple of chapters, uh, we have chapters where the POV switches back and forth six times within one chapter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's extra jarring when you get to the Stormlight Archive books because each like interlude mm-hmm. where it's like part two, cool title here, it tells you what POVs you're going to get in that part. So sometimes you flip to a new part and you're like, wait, really? <laughs> you? Or sometimes when you start part five and it lists like nine characters. Yeah. <laughs> and you say, I'm in danger. I, there's one where it just says the Knights Radiant, which is an entire <laughs> group of people. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the kind of like towards the end of the um, uh, book, having different points of view, uh, does remind me of uh, House of Cards choosing to have characters start weaponizing the fourth wall. Um, it's a good technique. Yeah, uh, there is a. P- in a very it's good such show. a good show, hey, especially right at that last season, in which a character who has never broken the fourth wall before <laughs> does stare directly into the camera and apparently weaponizes that action because another character wakes up from a nightmare at that exact moment. <laughs> Anyways, House of Cards is awesome in that last season. It's great. And has no problems whatsoever. You know what? I'm going to use that as a another hard-swerving segue. We're talking about politics here. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, we have an Ellen POV. We get to see we have Teldon and Jastes, his two friends, uh, and we actually get to see the the little conversation that they have. And I'm going to uh, shoehorn in another uh, musical reference, though it's not Into the Woods this time. Uh, we have Ellen, and I believe this is actually Brandon has said that this little group uh, was partially inspired by uh, the friends of the ABC from Les yeah, Miserables. Yeah, I was going to actually talk about mm-hmm. how they gave mm-hmm. me similar vibes. Mm-hmm. But Ellen is being Marius Absolutely. here, where is too busy being smitten <laughs> by a girl, and and the others are in fact agog and aghast. <laughs> and aghast. <laughs> I really like that show. It's very good. It's a very good show. It's coming to the town that we're in. It is slash near in February. Duly noted. I like it when it's on a rotating stage. Yeah. I tried to avoid saying what town we're in to avoid doxing us, but people could just look at the tour schedule. <laughs> we're in Chicago. It's big. Whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm actually curious because the, the original staging with the Revolve hasn't been performed for a good while now. And, and most of the recent stagings have been um, the, the first revival uh, involving set pieces coming on from both wings and a, uh, a heavy use of projected scenery. Mm. Uh, so I'm very curious mm-hmm. when it comes back, is this going to be the original staging, the first revival, or a new one? I saw a high school production of Les Mis with a revolving stage, which was... We did a high school production of Les Mis with a revolving stage. Oh, I say I... we. we I, <laughs> I did not. I was not directly involved. I probably yes. saw that one. We definitely grew up in the same location. Yeah. <laughs> I, to continue this Les tangent, got to shadow one of their stage managers backstage the last time it was in town, uh, which, one, was deeply cool. Two, was deeply cool to see how they stored all that goddamn furniture. Mm, Sometimes it just, like, went up into the sky for storage. (laughs) Three, got to be right next to the person who sings, You have no friends! friends! When he sang it from offstage, and it was the best moment of my life. All right, bringing us back from the brink with a tangent that is related to Sanderson and then back to the book here. Um, We're like tangenting diagonally towards the plot. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're constructing some weird geometry here. Multi-track drifting. Uh, I'm looking up the the chapter (laughs) summaries that I use to to construct our planning spreadsheet. Uh, There is a single chapter in Oathbringer, which is the third Stormlight book, uh, that has 31 individual POVs. 
it's it's only like seven characters it's just switching back and forth between them but there are 31 pov changes in a single chapter and it's a fantastic chapter and that is what we call the sanderland my friends yes mm. i'm picturing the change in pov that you get in gta 5 where it goes up into the sky and then down into the new next person every time it changes all 31 times i think <laughs> i would vomit very dizzying <laughs> Although I, it does actually begin with a character literally flying off into the sky, so you never know. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna try to finish this chapter off. Yeah, uh, Ellen's friends are uh, they're actually concerned because even though Ellen is, as we've mentioned, completely oblivious to all things politics wise, uh, the other two have caught on to something uh, and are telling Ellen that it seems awfully convenient uh, that this girl has shown up who he has fallen completely madly in love with who seems like just the perfect person for him uh and and they're saying you do understand the amount of of politics and intrigue that's going on around here she's probably a spy so someone has figured something out i'm going to drag it back to les mis because the show would be even more improved if cosette was part of a subplot that where she was secretly a spy trying to overthrow the french aristocracy completely separately from the friends of the apc <laughs> that's it we can go that back actually to the book would now. be pretty cool so that is uh that is the the first that we see of of his friends there we'll see them one more time before the chapter ends uh now we get to spend some quality time with straff venture which is always a great time Ellen has has headed home, uh, is unable to kind of sneak in without interacting with his dad, um, and Straff just gets kind of gets a chance to be a generally unpleasant person. And we meet a Chandra. We do meet a Chandra. I was expecting someone would point this out. They are named Tensoon. Tensoon, who's imitating a, a presumably dead person, possibly dead person. I don't know. Maybe Chandra are like, you know, you know how there's like Abra, Kadabra, Alakazam. Maybe Chandra are like the ev- evolution of Mistrates. They evolve into Chandra, and therefore Caleb is still right. I still have my fingers crossed for that basically being the case. I I, I would prefer that to Chandra just being a completely separate thing. Um, so yeah, we're going the Pokemon route. I'm I'm going to stick with that. I have not given up on that guess. <laughs> Uh, we get no other detail other than that uh, it is a Chandra whose name is Tensoon, uh, who has a new body, and Ellen is uncomfortable. But we have no other discussion of this in this chapter. Uh, so the, the two of them have a, a, some uh, verbal sparring there, uh, where Ellen is really trying to just be as obnoxious as he can to his awful dad. And uh, he does get uh, he does get one over on Straff when he just kind of casually mentions that uh, House Hastings is is preparing to flee, uh, which Straff apparently didn't know. That's probably because it's not actually true, but you know. Uh, and then following, once he manages to to get away from uh, that unpleasant conversation, uh, no, I, I was just immediately distracted by Sam providing some of his notes uh, in which he he says that Ellen tells Straff that Hastings finna bounce, which is exactly yeah. the word that Ellen used. Precisely. Also, before we uh, before we move on to uh, another event with the boys, Straff just, you know, says right out there that he hopes Ellen dies. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I mean, I, I feel like I've seen this in um, works of fiction where you have this this kind of like complex aristocracy who are competing for power, where you have this kind of bluntness of like, oh, I mean, if you do die, then I get more power. Uh, but it is it is pretty rough for Straff to tell his firstborn son that only I don't, Ellen's never mentioned siblings, only son. Anyway, son boy allowed. Yes, certainly acts like an only child. Interesting. Yeah, probably. But yeah, now we are back. Uh, Jastis has actually re- uh, come to House Venture because he has one more thing that he needs to say, uh, which actually happened later, like just between the last time we saw him and now. Uh, he went and had Vin followed. Uh, and this is the first time that someone has done this. Uh, and it has revealed a secret, which is that because uh, he doesn't realize that Vin stopped at uh, Clubs' shop, but he does realize that when the carriage left the city to go back to the Renault estates, Vin was not in the carriage, uh, which in his mind is uh, completely confirming that uh, Lady Valette is a spy for another house because she must have gotten out somewhere in the city to go to the the house that she lives at and this is ellen does need to, ellen protests at first and then jesse's points out one more time that if you were to take a person and put them somewhere where ellen would begin interacting with them it would be exactly how he and valette first met i do love the kind of dramatic irony that like jesse lays out all of these um like kind of nails it on the head of like this is exactly what a spy would be it would be someone from a fairly lowborn family who's trying to get it like identifies all of the things that do make vin actually suspicious as a suspect of a spy mm-hmm. and then rather um in in some maladroit detective work um the clinger the thing that like really convinces ellen is the thing that actually was a coincidence and vin just wanted to go to right. the balcony <laughs> exactly is is Jastis is very correct in many respects, but is also very, very wrong. It's like using the wrong formula on a math test, but still getting the right result. And then the end of our chapter and the end of our section for today, uh, Ellen has been convinced enough that he is actually willing to take some action here. Uh, he is going to go to the, the luncheon tomorrow, which is what he and Straff were arguing about, uh, but he is going to borrow some of the house spies so that they can do a little investigation of their own. And that is where we wrap up. Whew. A lot happened this section. <laughs> Good book. A lot of yeah. setting up dominoes. Yeah, no, we have... Um, I mean, looking ahead at uh, what is yet to come, uh, it is not too much of a spoiler to say that uh, starting even in our next segment and then continuing all the way through to the end of the book... Uh, there are some fireworks that are going to go off. Uh, I think really all the pieces have been set, and I'm really, really looking forward to our next couple of, of sections. Terrifying. Chekhov's guns are lined up on the mantle, and we're ready for the firing squad. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we do have our usual segments to conclude this episode, though, before we uh, head off and perhaps immediately start reading the next chapters. Uh Somehow still 
on our ninth episode with only a couple to go, uh, we do actually have some new uh, characters to join the cast, given that we've now actually seen uh, the the political crew here. Uh, so shall we maybe one or for for perhaps close to the final time add to our cast list? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Sam, you had put together uh, Jastis and Teldon, who we have now seen as well as heard, uh, and also Tavidian, who we had seen from across the room before but had not known anything about, and now we have a name and some more information. All right. Uh, Sam, do you want to uh, start us off with uh, your list for those? All right. So it started out as a meme, but I'm now starting to really like actually picture it now that I, first of all, know about the actor know about his various parts he he had uh roles in star trek so uh he's he's not just some creepy weird guy um tavidian i'm casting as buddy daniels friedman aka tyler's dad from that episode of uh the eric andre show that we talked about many episodes ago um i do need to find a way to link the image that you've made in the liner notes for this episode because it's too good it's very important it's, it's so important <laughs> it's 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 great it's scribbled over and i just wrote vin's dad snipping tool for all its greatness uh doesn't have a text tool so microsoft get on that that'd be great that actually does seem like a bit of a like that just seems like an oversight yeah no you're genuinely right yeah <laughs> um, okay but uh buddy friedman as tavidian yeah no i can actually kind of see it so that's my uh my Tavidian. Um and then Jastis and Teldon. Uh you know, this is one of those castings where it's not gonna make it this is a Vogelbach casting, okay? Uh they're Great. not actors, but I picture them. Right? Okay. So Teldon uh was where it started because he is described as a big man. Mm-hmm. So I I picture Teldon as Bart Thompson from Mom Jeans. From uh, what? Let me let me load up an an image. Oh dear. It is the the Google autocomplete for Bart T H O M. Yeah. Uh-huh, so they if are this a image band. is anything akin to your image of Vin's dad, which is my sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> he sends the exact same photo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. that's it. Okay. Yeah, he's a he's, he's a band. He's just kind of a person. dude. Oh yeah, I think they're coming to Riot Fest this year. Yeah. Mom Jeans is a is a fun band. So, uh, theming with that, I picture Jastis as Eric Butler, who's the vocalist for Mom Jeans. So why not? Okay. There are there are not as cool pictures of Eric Butler as there are as uh, of uh, Bart Thompson. Yeah. Just I don't know. Cause. This seems like a, this seems like a good place for a, another fun casting. Yeah. Why not? Um. So there's my my Jastis and Teldon, and uh. Aww. There you go. Just just some guys. Just some Just some guys, guys being dudes. Some dudes and Teldon's a, a big boy, as described. Yes. All right. Uh, Caleb, did you have a similar list? Yeah, I had. Well, you will remember I actually have already cast um, Vin's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, my my pick was Clancy Brown, and I kind of am going to stick with that. I still like okay. that. It is um, remaining on the list. Uh since she's now shown up in two scenes, I know she's probably not going to be super important, but I did go ahead and cast Lady Cliss. Um, okay. I have Beanie Feldstein, um, star of Booksmart oh. and of What We Do in the Shadows. Um, 
just kind of like that vibe. I like that. Um, um, and it is funny that you mentioned Blay Maze because I did, in fact, strongly consider um, just going ahead and casting Ramin Karamlu and Hadley Frazier, who played Angel Raw and Grand Terror in the 25th anniversary <laughs> cast. Okay. Um, but I did go, I, I did switch that up and I went a different route. Um, but I did try to think of, you know, what are some other, you know, just those guys, those buddies who hang out and just kind of shoot the shit. Um, and I went ahead and cast Matt Jones as Jastes, who is known as playing Badger in Breaking Bad. He's one of Jesse Pinkman's buddies. Um, he has a very distinctive scratchy voice um, that, is, okay. that, is, that is fun. Um, and then just going along with that theme, I cast Rodney Rush as Teldon. He played Combo, another of Jesse's buddies. He was only in like five episodes and has been in almost nothing else since. But, you know, just, just sticking with the, with the theming there. Cool. I Confirmed. Like Elden's friends are meth heads. That is exactly the takeaway that we should get from this from this discussion. All right. Or emo band members. Or emo band members. Or maybe emo band me- members who are on meth. Mm. This is this is not intended to be a slight against any of the the people who we've actually chosen, who of course are definitely listening to listening to this show. Hi Bart. I could see Matt Jones just taking a listen at this. That, that feels like it could happen. Yeah. Uh, that wraps up our casting there um i'm actually gonna take a quick peek ahead the chapters we have remaining because we are we're very close to having the complete list here uh who the hell is that guy this, the, the, the summaries on the copper mind list like every minor character who shows up who i like every nobleman who vin talks yeah, to once exactly so i have i have no idea who some of these people are uh, in terms of people who I actually care about, uh, we have a handful still. A small handful. Okay. Uh, but what we do have with only a couple episodes to go, uh, I think there's still plenty of time and plenty of opportunities to make some predictions. Uh, and I know a yeah. couple of things were mentioned earlier this episode that were going to be tabled and discussed further. So we can we can take a look at those. All right, so uh, I'm going to go first. Go for it. Go for it. I'm not stopping you. All right, so um, the the thing that I tabled was more of a question than less of a prediction. I don't have any, like, I think the answer's obvious, um, but maybe I missed it. I don't know. Um, It's about the epigraphs, which I'm reading now. I'm not skipping them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh for i guess i'm predicting the past we'll we'll call it that um my question was why the lord ruler wanted the terrorist religion exterminated this is kind of a carryover from last episode okay. um but drawing from encanto uh and the song we don't talk about bruno um in that movie uh a prophecy says that one of the family members will destroy the house and that kind of uh the person who identifies that like removes himself from the picture and i'm picturing mm-hmm. instead of instead of removing himself from the picture that he he is removed from the picture i.e the terracemen um have in their religion predicted that the lord ruler is going to become a shitty guy um <laughs> and instead of allowing that to, to to come to pass uh the lord ruler extirpated their religion uh to try and hmm. 
silence the oppression or the uh the resistance that might have come mm. from it okay um i'm also wondering if people knew about allomancy during the period of the epigraphs um and whether or not and i think i know the answer to this one whether or not ska existed uh prior to the lord ruler and the prophecy which i don't think they did yeah we don't we don't really have a lot of detail about the state of the world outside of the deepness and the things that are in between the writer and the deepness uh but those are kind of annoyingly unclear from what we've read <laughs> let's yep. put these in the questions column see if we get answers yeah. to like wizamo as the lord ruler confirmed so uh, you know i have other questions but a lot of them i'll just save for later it doesn't matter um the interestings are, are interesting and uh let me see. Starting with, uh, I still, even though we've now learned what the ninth metal is, and that it probably couldn't have been used to make Mare accidentally betray Kelsier, um, I still think she didn't betray him on purpose. Um, okay. I think that the maybe the Lord Ruler flared bronze to detect her approach. Um, or flared adium to detect both of them being there, but then I don't know how that specifically ties to Mare because adium does not require allomancy to detect. So I think it had something to do with bronze, maybe. Okay, yeah, this was this was something that we were discussing for the first time uh, right around the beginning of part three, uh, which was when. Uh, when Vin was think first learning about the betrayal and we were trying to figure out what the mechanics of that were. So we shall see. Right. We, we shall see. Um, tying on to the, the ninth metal thing, moving swiftly on, uh, I, I'm predicting that gold is not useless uh, because it sure as shit sounds like it right now. <laughs> like it's just a... <laughs> Just a thing that, that can cause you to experience the trauma of seeing yourself in a different way. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that, uh, I don't know, maybe like flaring it will let you see alternative views at further off points. Okay. Like right now. Which, which might give you um, like s some insight as to what you could do now or something like that. S something akin to that, I, I'd say, okay. yeah. Um. I don't know how or if that, you know, it will be useful, uh, but I predict that we'll find a way that it's useful within the the binding of this book. We'll, we'll see something. All right. Otherwise, we'll have to redo our power rankings, which I think landed copper <laughs> solid last. Yes, copper was or, last. Alamancy power rankings. I wouldn't even say solid last because copper still useful, but I do think recently it was in last place. Yes. Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, uh, I'm predicting that Ellen is not Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> I, uh, I agree. I'm a little, are, are you making I'm a, little... a statement about his political prowess and, and capabilities in future here? Yes. Uh, I, I think I'm going to, uh, jump off of my, my previous point and instead say, uh, that maybe Caleb was right, and Ellen's just kind of a fuckboy, which which makes me sad. <laughs> um, I even put uh, 
I put a sad face uh, next to my prediction. I will dutifully also put a sad face on the spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm watching this spreadsheet get updated and in one of these little boxes just said, Ellen might not be all that great. Justin's cursor moved away. And then you mentioned the sad face and swiftly moved back onto it. Yeah. Um, and then second to last, uh, Ellen's going to have Vin followed, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. the The followers of Vin are going to, uh, if if Ellen's doing the following well enough, they're going to kind of discover the plot because they've failed to be very secretive about it. They they live in a, a smoker's house, so Alamancy's not detectable. But uh, people follow, and then the house is not invisible. Right. There are certainly <laughs> clues there. So they're they're gonna see Vin go into this house, and then maybe they'll they'll camp out outside it, and then they'll see Kelsier, who's apparently recognizable, enter the house, and they'll they'll kind of put two and two together that Vin is is not a house spy, but a different kind of spy, um, which then jumps off into who's Ellen gonna tell, and what's he gonna do about it. I see three possibilities for who he's gonna tell, okay. um, and I with a a brief yes or no. Uh, his dad? Nah. Uh, I don't think Ellen trusts his dad to not go scorched earth. And he'd probably be mad at Ellen for exposing his house's weakness to Vin. And he the did crew. let a pretty big secret slip there. Yeah. Yeah. Which even he recognizes. How was I that dumb? Yeah. It's because you're just um, a dummy, buddy. Mm-hmm. Second possibility was... <laughs> was running off and telling the ministry but uh i don't think that'll happen either because they might find out about the boys and take umbrage okay um and the boys uh probably they'll tell one of the boys um at which point will the boys rat her out or will it just go down the grapevine i think that it's gonna come out uh and just to summarize in in general this, I think, is true. Uh, I think Vin's usefulness as a nobility spy is probably donezo. Okay. Um, hmm. Because they're going to figure it out. <laughs> uh, you know, reputation is, is a big, important thing. And, you know, I don't know. Um, and then my last prediction. Uh, Shan's a Mistborn. Um, she's going to hear about Vin being a traitor, which I think she already suspects. Um, she's going to try to kill Vin uh, as she's leaving a ball. And they're going to fight, and Vin's going to kill her. Uh, and then Shan disappearing, whether it's found out that she's Mistborn tried to kill Vin, um, or what have you, one way or another, it's going to ripple through the house balls. And... Uh, I, I hit enter and then tab twice, and I didn't write any more. So I guess I'll just leave it there. Okay. Uh, I will actually note on our our catalog of predictions, uh, back in chapter 18, uh, episode 6, uh, you, had, you were on record that it would be interesting if Shan was a bigger adversary, potentially a Mistborn. So this is something that uh, has been bounced around a couple times. Let's... 
You are now upgrading it into full theory land. I'm just showing where my cursor was. Yeah. I was going to write more and I forgot. <laughs> okay. Uh, that would be... There's not a lot of, of book left and there's a lot of like big empire plot that will probably kind of need to happen. Uh, but Shan coming back and, and kind of that kicking off a whole series of, of problems or Ellen's spies kicking off this whole thing... Uh, with Vin's position, that would certainly be a, a significant factor in how these last couple of chapters start to go. In any event, it's going to get wild. That I can 100% <laughs> fully confirm right Confirmed. now. It Highlighted green. It will be wild. <laughs> I'm leaving the really loud keyboard noises in on that one. There you go. Good. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yeah, I am... Uh, I can tell you I am looking forward to discussing some of the things that you've mentioned in an episode or two. So, yeah, it should be pretty good. Popcorn Caleb. Yeah, Caleb, you want to <laughs> uh, finish us up here with the, the scheduled part of the episode? Uh, wildly different theories on my end. Um, and a yep. lot of, still not a lot of specific guesses, although I'll have some at the end. But um, just more questions, some, some questions. Um, I also want to just, uh, uh, update, well, review some of my previous predictions and how they're holding up so far. Um, we've gone through gold and how I get a couple of points for that. Um, I did, I do believe my prediction last time was that new part of the plan would be inciting a rebellion in the ska within the city, which was not really part of the original plan. Um, and with Marsh's intel, it certainly seems like that is becoming more of a possibility. So I'm doubling down on that one, even though I don't okay. think Kelsier has specifically said that that's part of the plan. Um, feeling good about that one. Um, I was expecting, and there's room for this to still be the case. There's room that fourth voice will still be vital to the end game. <laughs> um, my prediction was that, um, one of the, one of the boys was going to be, um, a a spy for someone else who would rat out the operation wasn't quite right about that but i was right that they would throw a wrench in the operation as Jastis has now uh um introduced cause for concern mm -hmm. um so i wasn't really right about that but i was on the on the path there um uh, oh i had one other one that i am now forgetting um but we will see if I remember it as I go into the notes that I have written down. Um, in terms of Lord Ruler stuff, I had a couple of thoughts this chapter. Um, my first thought at uh, seeing this kind of cloud of soothing depression that he's causing on everyone else made me wonder if his powers, if there's some aspect of his powers that actually can't be turned off. And this is just who he is. Like, this is just inherent mm, okay. to him now. Um and in that case, like, he's kind of forced into the position of villain to some degree, which would be really interesting. Um, I'm not putting a ton of chips on that theory, but I think that'd be very fascinating. Um, and since it's relevant, even though it came a lot later, um, the epigraph about the whole Reaper thing, about how the deepness um, is, is spooky. Um, <laughs> my question and kind of my theory is, he didn't really defeat the deepness 
Um, I think the deepness basically corrupted him, and now there is a form of the deepness that is basically living inside of his body. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. I think that would be like kind of the source of um, that kind of really powerful, what appears to be allomancy, um, and would also be a very good explanation for why this person who was supposed to be a hero and seems to be fairly decent as a person turned into this tyrant living for a thousand years. Um, so I think it's not just that he failed to defeat the deepness, but in fact, the deepness corrupted him in such a way that the Lord Ruler of the Deepness are now essentially the same entity. That's certainly an explanation for why the the doctrine and the depictions are so vague. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's been a lot of questioning about if there's allomantic powers um, in the time of the epigraphs. I don't remember if I said this out loud last episode, and we can check the tapes and see you later. Um, but uh, yeah, one of my theories is that whatever happened with the Deepness is also tied to the founding of Allomancy. I think that was the source and the beginning of that entire system being put into the world. Um, that is that is another prediction I have. Um, moving on, um, I don't know if this is specifically going to happen, but um, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll write this down as a light prediction. Um, they've mentioned how the garrison is currently out of the city, but mm -hmm. we also have an instance in which pretty much everyone, including at least eight Inquisitors, and including Lord, the Lord Ruler himself, are outside of Credit Shaw, um, and that is during executions. So, honestly, I feel like an optimal time, as depressing as it is, to try and do a run on Credit Shaw would be during one of those executions when everyone else has kind of gone from the castle. Um, so, light prediction that that gets worked into the plan in some way. Um, it wouldn't quite make sense if Kelsier is hoping to kill Lord Ruler. I would assume he's hoping Lord Ruler will be in the castle. But from a practical perspective of making sure the heist has the best chances of, of surviving and getting pulled off, um, that seems like a decent time to do it. It would also be a pretty decent time to incite some riots. Um, now that you have thousands of people in one place all staring at a massive injustice happening, um, hmm. could could be could be a good time to, to stir some shit up. Um, we didn't talk about it too much, but it seems like perhaps something about Vin is trackable, given how the Inquisitors were um, trying to go after her when they were, when she was in Credit Shaw. And we also have pretty much confirmation that the reason they're so interested is because her father is the Lord Prelin. Um, well, I don't know if it would be outright confirmation, but certainly seems like that could be a very good explanation for why they're so interested in her. Um, which again leads to a question I've asked a couple of times. Does this mean Reen is still super important in his own way, even though we haven't seen him in person for the entire book? He is also a son of the Lord Prelin, um, and presumably they would also be interested in that. So um, keeping my eye out for that. Uh, we have gone back and forth a couple times, and I'm rechecking on whether... Yes, uh, Reen is uh, Vin's half-brother. That's right. That is right. Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. Forgot about that. All right. Never mind then. <laughs> um, okay. I still think Reen's going to come back in some form, but never mind about the, about the reasoning for that. Um, At the final fight... <laughs> could be, could be. Reen will be the Reen difference will step maker. Out of the fog. <laughs> It'll be like that part in a uh, Endgame where where all the ladies step up and fight. 
<laughs> but with Reed? Yeah, I don't quite see the comparison there. Except but, given right. that we've n- never actually seen him, he'll just be some guy. That would be incredible <laughs> Reed, if, some guy. if in Endgame, like, a bunch of randos came out who none of the audience recognizes, and, like, the camera's <laughs> focusing on them. <laughs> and the soundtrack's going crazy in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um... All right, so yeah, and then some of the theories that are going to diverge quite a bit from Sam here. Um, I think Shan is going to make a major move against the Ventures. I'm not exactly sure what. She could be trying to assassinate Strash. She could attempt to assassinate Elend. I'm not quite sure. Um, But I think she is doing her own thing, and she actually truly does not really care about Vin right now. Um, And in terms of the spy uh, angle that Elend is sending out, I think it's actually going to go in kind of the opposite direction where I think Kelsier and crew are going to notice the spies, find them, interrogate them, probably kill them because it's Kelsier. Um, <laughs> and now Kelsier is thinking, oh, Elend is on to us. Now he definitely needs to die. Um, and kind of that will also drive another wedge in between um, some things happening there. And probably won't happen, but it will be interesting if both of those things end up happening and then Kelsier decides, well, Vin will be mad if I kill Elend. But if I can help Shan kill Elend, then that'll all work out perfectly. Um, so that, that would be an interesting... That sounds like a hell of a, of a way to kick off the end of this book. Sure is, but a, I've been I love I've a hero-villain told... team up to take out a different villain that they both hate. I love it. Yeah, yeah. They are taking out a villain that we all hate. Yeah. Um, anyways... <laughs> <laughs> I played myself. <laughs> um, that's most of what I've got. It's going to bother me that I forgot that one thing. Um, but one other theory I had is has, has come into play in some form, and I've forgotten what it is. All right. I'm going to notate that one down, too. Something that Caleb forgot. I, I guarantee you I'm going to remember it right as you start to sign off. All right. It's on the chart. I'm going to mark it as partially confirmed. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that does it for our episode nine with our first chapters of part four, which means we get to go read more, which is honestly one of the best Yay. parts of the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have definitely uh, at least one of the Sanderson read along podcasts that I've done one of the hosts has said that they actually do sign off recording and then immediately pick up the book and start reading. (laughs) Presumably it's right there. It's hard to resist. Exactly. It is sitting on my desk next to my daily Jeopardy question calendar. I like that mom gave you a question to like test your mind and your wits and she gave me a daily calendar that is Shakespearean insults. Yeah, it tracks. (laughs) All right. Uh, I think that means that we are going to be wrapping it up for this episode. Uh, I mentioned last time it is three chapter segments all the way down uh, for this part, at least. So 29, 30, and 31 will be our second chunk of part four. Uh, And that will take us firmly into uh, pinwheeling towards the end of the book. So I'm super (laughs) looking forward to it. I remembered what I was going to say. I told you it was going to happen right as you were trying to sign off. (laughs) Go ahead, Caleb. This is not actually a theory in any way, um, but it just just, ties back to something I said last time. Um, 
Was this the uh, rooftop scene you guys had in mind, the whole execution thing? Or is that yeah. <laughs> okay. In my slight defense, I did specify they need to hang out on the roof of Clubs' shop more because nothing bad happens there. Um, however, I do recognize an incredibly poorly timed prediction on my part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this is not a good rooftop. Yeah, this is not a rooftop for boys. This, this is not a place of honor. <laughs> Two incredibly targeted references at me at the same yep, time. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it here. Uh, as usual, uh, if you want to let us know what you think of, of what you've been hearing, of the predictions right or wrong, as fun as they are, uh, you can email us uh, at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Alwaysanotherpodcast.com is also where you can find all these episodes as well as whatever podcast reader you have following this feed. We really appreciate everyone giving us a listen. Uh, we would probably be doing most of this anyway. It's a lot of fun, but it is also good to know that uh, some of y'all out there are, are enjoying listening to this. Uh, other than that, I think without further ado, we are going to sign off until next time. And presumably there's going to be some wacky hijinks as I cue in the music and finish the episode. I'm in danger. Bye. Wait, why are you in danger? <laughs> because it's terrifying every time you talk about how everything's going to go set off and the Sander Lanch is coming. It's terrifying. Do you not realize that? Maybe so. <laughs> and I'm Sam. Great. <laughs> Caleb, play the jingle, play the jingle. I'm doing it, I'm doing it right now. You can hear it right now.